Hello, thanks for listening to Conversations on Compassion at the University of Arizona College of Social and Behavioral Sciences Center for Compassion Studies. I'm Leslie Langbert. Today I'm having a conversation with a superhero of love. I'm talking with Andres Gonzalez, Andy Gonzalez. He is a co-founder of the Holistic Life Foundation in Baltimore, Maryland. Andy and his friends, Atman and Ali Smith, created Holistic Life Foundation 17 years ago. And I've been following their work for a long time. They're deeply, deeply inspiring. Um, I feel like in these times especially, it's so important to elevate voices of people that are really sharing love in communities and sharing love with with everyone and these guys have been bringing meditation and yoga practices into schools and after school programs for the last 16 almost 17 years and they're incredibly inspiring um, i hope you're ready for your heart to grow three sizes because listening to Andy talking about his work and what inspires him deeply inspired me. I feel like I'm still on a high from it. So enjoy, get high. All right, speaking of extremely talented, let's talk uh, about you. <laughs> holistic life, heck yeah. <laughs> yes, I... Um, yeah, I want to talk about everything, but let's um, let's start with just the incredible vision that you and Atman and Ali had um, in college to create this. So, kind of catch us up on how Holistic Life Foundation got started. For sure, you know, you know, when when we kind of tell the story of how Holistic Life Foundation got started, uh, we usually start a little bit with Ali and Atma's background, since they did have a foundation of yoga and mindfulness. So, um, you know, if you ask them, they, they'd always say, yeah, well, when we were younger, uh, we'd go down for like Saturday morning cartoons and uh, and our dad would be in a headstand, just sitting there the whole time they're eating breakfast and he'd just be sitting in his headstand. And then, wow. and he would, he would make them meditate every day. Um, they're funny, they always say, you know, when we were younger, sometimes we'd take it serious, but most of the time we would just try to get the other one to laugh so we can get up in trouble and stuff like that. <laughs> but they had a practice. And then they both went to a Quaker school, uh, to Friends School of Baltimore. So they did a meeting, a me it's like a, a meeting for worship where they, it was an opportunity for them just to sit in silence. And so it was a form of mindfulness, I felt like, um, that they had every single day at school as well. Um, and if they decided they wanted to speak, they could stand up and speak and stuff like that. So they had their foundation and then uh, their parents uh, divorced. So they split apart. And um, I think the practice kind of fell by the wayside a little just because um, they were really focused on being householders. So we always start there because I think it all ends up coming full circle back to their practice they had when they were younger. So... Um, fast forward a little, they get older, they meet me in college. Um, uh, we would love to say they met me at like a meditation class or something like that, but we met at like a bar uh, and house parties and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, and it, it really just got to uh, us, it came to us like creating this immediate bond where we were thinking about the same philosophical kind of concepts and questions. Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of all of this? And, and, um, and as we started going inward and studying and just reading, this is uh, probably like uh, this is 2000, 2001, um, just instead of doing as much study as we should have been doing broadly on our, our majors, we were reading everything else, you know, philosophies, creation theories, um, astronomy, astrology, ancient history, again, just, just thirsting for knowledge and, and having these questions like, why are we here? What's the purpose when we want answers? And um, eventually what happened is it, it, it came to us where everything seemed to be going back to some of these ancient texts and, um, from yoga that we had seen. And we were like, ah, and Ali and I had their little foundation little, so we're like, oh, that's interesting, whatever. Again, still we're really sold, like that's the direction we're going. Then one day we're hanging out at, uh, at their godfather's house and, um, and we're sitting there having a beer, watching some, some basketball, I think is what it was. And, 
And Atman looks on his little table there and he has this book. And it's a book by Yogi Bhajan. And it's about, he's a Kundalini master. He um, has these meditations in the book. And we are blown away by these meditations. And Atman's looking, I'm like, hey, what's this? Like, I wouldn't mind learning this. And, and he's like, but you want to learn some yoga? And you know, the three of us are like, what we're seeing in this book isn't, this isn't yoga like you've seen. You know, it's, it's, there's no bending and stretching here. This is all just sitting and, and, and you know, meditating. And he's like, well, that's, that's yoga. And we're like, really? Well, well, we want to learn this. So we would say, right? So he's like, all right, no problem. And he's like, I'll make a deal with you. The only way that we, I, I, I'll agree to be your teacher. And he, and he still doesn't really like that term teacher. He always says he's a conduit or he's just a reminder you know, that we're having interactions with each other and our interactions um, move us further along our path, ourselves and him as well. Um, but he says, he says to us, I won't teach students. I will only teach teachers. So rule number one is if I teach this stuff, you have to go and teach other people. Rule number two is you have to show up at four in the morning. And it's midnight, mind you, Heineken in my hand. Like, okay, uh, we got you. No problem. We're college kids. We're used to doing this stuff, right? So next day, the three of us show up in the store, 355, knock on the door. Lights are dark. Like, I wonder if he even took us serious. And he's, he's up. He's like, oh, y'all came. So he took us out to a, a park. And we started our practice. We started with a lot of the postures, uh, the breath work, uh, meditations. And then he started getting to some of more of the, what we call off the mat concepts. And, you know, just the philosophical stuff of, um, you know, you could be on a mat and meditate for two hours a day and do your poses, but he'd always say to us, uh, there are 22 hours left in the day, but you're just not going to be mindful. You're not going to be compassionate, loving, right? Like that's it. You only do your mat time and the rest of the day. You can just be a horrible person, and just <laughs> do bad things. Like he's like, so he started getting us into that way of thinking. And in uh, those first two years after we graduated college really is um, when we, we became like hermits, but like hermits in a sense that a three-man team of hermits. So we always say that we don't know if we, some people say ascetics, we don't know the word for it because a hermit really is by himself kind of. So but three of us together, and that's all we did was went inward and was studying all these practices he's teaching us, sitting down with him, having conversations, um, meditating, and just having discussions with ourselves. And, and, and the transformation starts, you know, occurring, you know, within us. And, we were pretty wild guys in college and, and we could see that we were calming down. We could see the world completely differently. You know, all our senses, I felt, I felt like I was seeing differently. I was smelling, it was hearing different. The entire concept of life and the world was transforming and, and, and people around us started noticing it as well. You know, this is right now at this time in the story, we're around like nine 11 occurring and everyone's in, you know, this really traumatic stage of, of what's going on with the nation, the world, fear, and um, and we're happy. I mean, we're we're just buzzing, and people keep looking at us like, "Why are you guys so happy?" And we would be like, "Why aren't you happy?" You know, and and especially they're looking at us like, "Why aren't you guys? Why are you guys so happy?" Because they know we're broke. You know, we're not. We don't have a job. We're just going inward. And and they kept looking at us like, "You know, three of y'all just graduated from a great college. Like, you got great degrees. Go get a real job. You can make a lot of money." And we're like, you know, that's not what we're shooting for here. You know, we, we, we know that this is what we're supposed to do. And I think once we had the transformation occur within us and the realization that so many people needed, I mean, we knew they needed it because when we were having the conversations in college, all we were talking about is all this suffering, you know, like, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to help? We just want to help. We're into superheroes and comics. So we were thought that we were going to save the world, you know, like three of us, make our superhero team we can do this and um and then we got an opportunity with an elementary school one day we picked up Ali Nama's mother uh while we were in our practice mode still and uh, the principal sees us and she's like well what are those guys doing and Cassie didn't say you know this is in 2001 where yoga and mindfulness aren't very popular that she wasn't going to say the teacher oh they're just meditating every day you know don't worry they're a little weirder than him she was basically like uh, they're just, you know, they have this plan. They're doing their own thing. You know what I mean? But why? Why do you ask? And the teachers, well, I had this group of, you know, quote unquote problem kids. I would like you to, um, maybe they could be an after school program and be football coaches. And uh, me, and I, me and Ali, I remember looked at each other and we were talking about, we're like, 
you know, instead of teaching football to these problem kids, so instead of getting the bash into each other, right? How about we teach them some yoga? Because we're doing it. And again, the teacher, I mean, the principal, she was kind of just like, look, I, I don't really care what you do. I just need someone to do some free aftercare for me. So whatever you want to do, sure. So, I mean, the first day I remember the kids run into the yoga room and and uh, there's we had these old school gym mats that you Velcro connect to each other and they just pick up the mats and WrestleMania and start smacking each other over the heads and me and Ali are looking at each other like, uh, what do we do? What do we get ourselves in? Because we had never taught a class before. We just had our own practice. Um, and that's where it really all began. began. That group of, of gentlemen, um, 10 of them in detention at the beginning, you know, after school, weeks passed, seven, five, only two. None of them had detention anymore. The principal, teachers, parents are like, look, we don't know what y'all are doing. We don't care what y'all are doing. Just keep doing it because they could see the transformation happen, happening in these kids. And we could as well. And it's the same transformation that happened within us. And we knew we had something here. And, and so we stuck with that that group. We, we, we connected with them and found out what middle schools they all went to. We picked them up at their middle schools, um, brought them to a centralized location, a YMCA here in Baltimore, and kept teaching them the practice and kept stuck with them. And then... Um, and that's basically how it all really, really began. I mean, I can go on and on of different stories of how we pulled in more kids from the neighborhood and we lost a group of kids because they got in high school and, you know, after school programs aren't cool anymore. But that was basically, we started the after school program and then there was an opportunity. Again, Alina, Ali mother, just an amazing woman, um, was working for a social emotional learning program. Paths program that was created by uh, Mark Greenberg. Um, he's a he's a uh, he works at uh, Penn State University, and she tells him about this amazing program we have. And he's like, okay, I, I want to come check y'all out. So he comes, and all the kids are on our porch at the beginning of the day. And this one kid is just cursing and fighting everyone. He's just completely off the hook. I, I think he had a little impact from lead, all the lead paint in his house, and you know he's had lots of stuff going on with him. And, and again. Uh, you know, a very low income neighborhood, um, parents in and out of the house and out of prison, that type of stuff. So uh, understandable why he was a little off the hook. Then we get into the after school program and we get in the yoga room and, uh, and Mark Greenberg sits down and the kids, the same kid sits right next to him. And it's like, look, man, you got your background, you got your back straight. And he fixes everything because we always do a reciprocal teaching model the same way that our teacher always said to us. I'm not teaching students, I'm teaching teachers. We do that with our students. We always let them lead and guide. So he fixes everything and it just blows this guy Mark's brains away. He's like, I can't believe this is awesome. I need to help you all. What do you need? And we're like, well, we need data. You know, have all these anecdotal stories, all these schools and teachers, parents, families, everyone saying this is amazing, this works. And you know, not to mention this a thousand year old practice. We know it works, but we still need data. Right. And, uh, and he's like, great. So he puts together a study um, with him and Johns Hopkins. It's the first ever randomized controlled trial study on urban youth and, and mindfulness practices. And uh, we got some results back from it showing that it assisted with uh, focus, concentration. And one of the main things it, it, it showed was it, it decreases rumination. So ruminating thoughts that allow children to be more present so they could be more mindful. And and that's really when stuff started snowballing. I think I think it was where we could go into a school and, and say, hey, this is amazing. And they'd be like, ah, I don't know if we have it in our budget. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, think about it here. Look at this study we did with Johns Hopkins and Penn State. And those two names come out my mouth and they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe we can move stuff around and, and make something happen. And then it just kept spreading and spreading. And, and it's amazing now as to where, you know, from three of us, uh, that initial group of 15, 20 kids, around half of them are still with us now, 16 years later. They're our staff. They're our senior staff. So we're up to over, we're up to over 50 programmatic staff now, over 10 administrative staff. I mean, it's unreal. We're, we service over 7,500 kids a week. Uh, right now, the first time ever, actually, currently, uh, we've done a, a residency program the last six years in Madison, Wisconsin. This is the first year. It wasn't Ali, Atman, and I, but it was four of our senior staff. And they're there right now leading programs in Madison, Wisconsin. So it's just amazing to to kind of, when I describe this and talk to people, I get so excited because, you know, to, to, to think 
and picture me, Ali and Atman in college thinking, wow, we want to help to now see that we're making this impact here in Baltimore in the city we love, but we have people all over the nation even going around and doing the work. And, and that's the goal of, of us just to provide individuals with these techniques, um, whether it's mindfulness techniques or breathing exercises, meditations, yoga tech postures that allow them to regulate themselves. You know, the world and this external stimuli is constantly bombarding them, especially now with all the social media stuff that they're dealing with. I couldn't even imagine that when I was a little, a little kid. But it allows them to be able to be aware of, of their outside, their insides, know when they're getting a little off balance, enabling them to use these techniques to center themselves so that they can be present and, and so that they're not impulsive and reactionary, but they're more responsive to what's going on. And, and I think one of the overall factors we've noticed besides being able to allow them to be in control and be present is they gain a, a larger sense of self-worth. I think they learn to love themselves because we really stress the concept of love. And we, we found that when one learns to love themselves, to really, really love themselves, um, it, it leaks out of them, you know, and when you talk about how about half of the kids that you first started with are still with you now and they're holding the seat as as teachers now, um, I want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, there's so there's so much um, mindfulness kind of curricula and schools wanting to bring mindfulness into uh, the classroom in some way. I'm sure you hear this. I know I hear this a lot that. A lot of instructors are interested in it, but they uh, maybe haven't yet found their own practice and sort of see it as as a technique. And I just want to kind of give you some space to talk about um, the role of deep care that all of you are offering and what you're finding, you know, what you feel is really essential to um, the impact that your work has. You know, that's a great question. And I, I think we can answer this a lot because we go around and we do trainings for individuals who want to start implementing similar programs in their cities. Like I said, that's our ultimate goal is, is to kind of uh, get love zombies everywhere, infecting everyone, right, all over the nation. And we want to go in and, and train people how to do these similar programs and then we step back and let them continue to implement them. And uh, so we're always asking, you know, how is this going to be successful? How is this going to be sustainable? Any tips you can give us? And I think the first thing we always say is you have to have a practice. First and foremost, you have to be authentic. Mindfulness isn't something you do. It's something you are. Right? It's, it's about your being. It's, it's all the time. Like we were talking about those two hours on the mat and the other few hours. So, so the first thing we really stress with our staff and with individuals when we're doing the training is, you know, once we do this, you can't just leave tomorrow and start teaching the kids this. You need to incorporate this in your life. And, and the majority of the times that people are training, they have their own practice already. So when they ask me, you know, what, what meditation should I use? Or do you have a technique I should use? I always say, what do you do? What worked for you in your life? Because that's going to resonate. So it resonated with you and they're going to see that you did it. And, and see how it impacted you. And they're gonna be like, wow, maybe I'll take this a little serious, you know? Because if you've never done it and you're trying to teach a kid to do it, the kid's gonna call you out. Kids are very good at doing it. Uh, you tell me to calm down. I've just seen you yell at somebody or why don't you calm down, you know, stuff like that, right? So I think first and foremost, you have to have a practice. Yeah, because they can smell the, the authenticity and being genuine on you. They can smell it, they can see, wow, you do this. And then when they're going through kind of their, their path towards it, then you can relate to them and say, hey, I remember when I first did that too. I had that same issue. It's all right, you know, it's tough. The, the, the mind is like a, a drunk monkey on LSD, you know, it, it's all over the place, right? So uh, it happens sometimes, you know, so no worries, just try this, you know. So, so first and foremost, we say, have a practice, right? Number one. I would say the second most important thing we would like to say is make it fun. You know, it has to be a good time. Teacher used to always say that to me, you know, if your class isn't laughing, you're not doing anything. And, and I think 
The reason we got so excited about the practice is because of the person who was showing it and the way that he was showing it to us. If, if the three of us had gone into a regular class with little mats and yoga pants and, and hot yoga or pose instruction, which again, I think is all great stuff, but for us, that wouldn't have been the path for us. We would have been like, man, we're not doing this. The same way kids are like, we're not doing this. So you gotta make it fun. You gotta make it entertaining. I remember this one time, uh, we read, led a, a retreat at the Garrison Institute and it was the adults and I led the morning session the yoga class and everyone's laughing we're having a great time the whole time and at the end of the class one lady approaches me and she says uh so i could i really like this it's a lot of fun i could see how this work with kids do you change a little when you're working with adults make it a little more serious and i'm like not not at all not one bit you know this is exactly how we do it every single time we have a great time it, especially when you're working with youth you can't make it so serious i mean they, they they're told all the time what to do and what not to do discipline Straighten this, do this, right? All that stuff. They don't want to hear that anymore. It's not going to work with them if you do it that way. You got to make it fun so that they're willing to try it again. Right? So have your own practice, make it fun. And then the thing that we've talked about briefly and that I'm sure I'll talk about throughout the entire time we talk is come from a place of love. You know, you got to be there for them. You, 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 I mean, and like really there for them. We always said like, people were like, oh, I was there. You know, I showed up, I was there from 12 to four. Yeah, but were you really there? You know, did you leave all your baggage at the door? Did, did you put your phone away and not pick it up while you were with them? You know, were you, were you, did you meditate in the morning so you cleared out your brain so that you're not going through everything and you don't have those ruminations where you're in every other place where you really 100% present and, and, and that's, I think, where the love comes in. We really love what we're doing. We love everyone we work with, and we want them to feel what we feel. And I think they feel that. And, and oftentimes, we walk into a room, people are like, wow, we can feel the love from you guys. And we're like, all right, that's what I'm talking about. That's what we want is the love, you know? So um, I think that's the main thing. I mean, when we were growing at such an exponential rate, that was one of the things we were so worried about is, is not watering down the practice is not making it like a mick mindfulness you know like oh just fast yeah everyone's doing this and no 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 like keeping it to the way that it kind of grasped us took us into this place and reminding people that they're in control and i think that's that's so powerful especially when a young kid who's going through trauma is facing all these high anxiety scenarios and and they learn that it's within them that their breath can slow them down. They don't need to access something, anything outside of themselves, you know, that it's within them and they have the power to do it. And that's when stuff really transforms them. And you can see, and that's when you get results like in our Mindful Moment program where there's been zero suspensions the last three years. They don't even have that anymore. It's like, no, when you're, when you, when you're, it's not even when you're getting in trouble, it's, oh, you're going through something, go to the room and talk to the staff of Holistic and we just listen to them and explain, hey, you know, this happens, we get it. Instead of punishing and using punitive practices saying, hey, here's some tools for the next time this happens and maybe you'll get it right. Maybe you won't, hey, but we're here for you. We love you, we care for you. And that's why we're bringing you these techniques. And then that's when the kids start being like, wow, so you're not gonna yell at me? And not only are you not gonna yell at me, you're not gonna punish me and you're gonna try to help me out? This is Wow, education, huh? <laughs> what is crazy, <laughs> right? So I think, you know, those are the main things we always try to remind people is to have your own practice, to, to make it fun, and to come from a place of love. And I think those three things will really, really make a, a dynamic impact, whatever you're doing in life. Um, but I think particularly with the mindfulness and, and, the, uh, and the yoga techniques that we've been passing along, I think that's why we've been so effective. And then we're kind of cool too, you know what I mean? We've put that out there. You know, I think that, that comes part of the being authentic, you know, not, not only having your own practice, but being yourself, you know, not trying to change for anybody. Um, you, the audience can't see, but I have a Spider-Man t-shirt on, you see, so uh, we always have, you know, we're always wearing our comic books or old 80s uh, TV show t-shirts and stuff like that. We look like the kid. We don't change who we are. And we made that decision early on that when we go into business meetings, we're not going to have suits and ties. We're going to be us always. And our staff is the same way. And I think that 
that resonates with people as well because they think that, hey, you're just keeping it real. You know? That's what it's about. And this isn't some crazy rocket scientist science. You know, it's, it's, it's your breath. It's your mind. It's you. It's your body. Be aware of it and, and, and understand how powerful we, we are. And then that's when the transformation occurs and when the people experience it. I can't tell you how many times after leading people just through some belly breaths or a breath meditation, when they blink their eyes open, the look on their face, I'm like, wow. And I'm always like, you did that. I didn't do that. But wow. Huh? It feels real good, right? It's amazing. You know, just a little bit of presence and, and really just reminding people to appreciate the now. And I say it all the time. And the now that I just said is already the past. The now is always now. And let's appreciate every single second we have. Let's not, let's not worry about the past. Let's not worry about the future and what's coming. Because the past usually just causes anger. You know, someone rented space in your mind. They said something or did something to you. Something occurred. You get upset about it. The, the future causes anxiety. What's coming? What am I going to do? And anger and anxiety to me don't sound like fun people to hang out with, you know. So let's, let's stay in the now moment. You know? And let's, let's be human beings. I know, you know, you guys have grown so much just this year. It's incredible and, and amazing. Um, and that has to be in some ways something that makes your heart feel so full, but, but maybe in some ways kind of, um, you know, as you grow and it's sort of things are, you know, you have to trust more people to do what you do. So for people that are thinking about creating um, something similar or they're thinking about, wow, you know, we have this organization and we have great people and we'd love to bring people in to try to do this. Um, what are you looking for? Like, what is, what are the qualities um of your staff that you bring in that you entrust to share these practices with more young people? You know, I think I touched on a, a little before on saying kind of what's going to make it successful. And I think it, it, it kind of goes back to some of those things. Again, I mean, the majority of our staff have either been in our programs before, right? So we know that they've been doing the practice. So that authenticity is there with them, that they have a practice. We know because we know them since they're little kids. Um, if not, then they're either volunteers um, that have come into the program. So you can tell they have big hearts because they decided to volunteer their time and just help. Um, and we've seen the relationships they've built with students and the way they interact with the kids and, and, and the practice has grown, how, how the practice has grown on them. So, um, I mean, basically, it's almost like the universe has just given us the staff. It's just, we don't even look anymore and every time we're like god we're, we're getting a bunch more contracts and more programs we need more teachers and then more teachers just end up appearing so whether they've been in our programs uh, been in our trainings that we've done at omega and garrison and, and throughout the nation or volunteered their time that's the usual pool that, that we get most of our people from so um the main thing is the main things we tell them that, that, that we need out of them is to have a practice to be professional, right? And again, to come from a place of love, you know, to, to know that they're really doing this stuff because it's transferred them and they want to help. And that's the majority of the time when I ask them, why are you doing this? That's what they say. They say, you know what? I did it myself, whether it was on my own or you teaching me when I was a little kid and I was a real butthead, Andy, sorry, I always ignored you and stuff like that, but it finally hit me. And I saw how it impacted my life as I was going through college or just the, the world. And, and, and I've used it all the time and I want to give it back. I, I want to be the steward that you were for me. I want to be that steward in my neighborhood. And, and I want to uplift my neighborhood. I, I, I want to empower people like you empowered me. And I, I think that that's what happened, has happened most of the time. They just come to us, you know, and, and we just basically have them going through our programs. And then we feel like, you know, they might be one. Then we put them through our training program. It's a workforce development program. So, you know, we just make sure you know, a lot of these people may not have ever had a job. So professionalism is really big with us is to making sure that they understand, hey, you can wear the Superman T-shirt. That's fine. You can wear sweatpants. That's fine. 
but you know we're still we need to show them that we are professional you know that that, that we are there we, we've been doing this for 16 years now you know we know what we're doing it works and people are going to test you because of the way you look it's just that simple so you have to know your stuff you know and they do and we won't send them out there unless they do know their stuff because we would be quite remiss if we ever sent a team out to go teach something and they weren't ready to do it and they weren't providing the same quality programming that myself, Ali, and Atma provide when we go out there. You know? um, so I, I would just say anyone that wants to do this, you know, anyone that's like, hey, I got this group of people, if you're getting nervous or you're like, oh, we've been trying and it's not working, just do the work. You know? Don't look for results. Just do the work. So I teach you to say this all the time. You know? All the listeners out there, we did this for eight years for free, completely for free. We do not recommend people to do that. You know? <laughs> there were just three guys who were extremely compassionate and wanted to save the world and knew that this was our mission in life. So we didn't care. We were going to just keep doing it. And it wasn't until we started really going on and we got our first bit of funding and some people were like, look, you're going to burn out. You, know, you need to get compensated for your time. That, that there is, it's a give and take. With, you know, you can't just give and give and give and give and never receive anything. You know? And that's what we were doing. We we're just giving and giving, and we were teetering on that edge of burning out. And so we just said, "Hey, you know, we need to pay bills. We need to eat food. We need to have a roof on our heads." And I mean, we were used to living humbly and and going to Whole Foods on free samples day and getting our dinners. Ooh, those Wednesdays were like the best days of our weeks. I remember like knocking on Ali's door, like free samples today, Ali, we are gonna get our eat on. And we would just do laps. And the people in Whole Foods knew us, so they'd give us a few extra samples and stuff. So we we, we were used to to not having anything, but, but at the same time, we just always could hear the voice of our teacher saying to us, just do the work, don't look for results. Just do the work. Everything's coming. Everything will be given to you when, when you need it. Just do the work. And uh, people are going to doubt you. People are going to uh, talk trash. I mean, I've, I've had some of the most unbelievable things happen to us, me personally, us together as a group, our organization, where you would just be shocked. Like, I can't believe someone would do that to us, you know. But at the same time, since we have our practice, it just kind of falls off, you know. But, and it, the light within you, when it's shining, everything just kind of falls off like a scab. You just get, you just, huh? Oh, another person doesn't believe that we're doing this for real. Like, you're going to give us a grant, we're going to go fly off to Jamaica or something like that. Like, we've been doing this for 16 years. Like, we're not going anywhere. Or another person is going to look at us when we walk in and immediately stereotype us or judge us because of our appearance and the big beards, Atmos dreads, you know, the, the way we look. We've been called the band. Now, for 16 like straight years, so we'll go to a conference and we walk in and the people are like, oh, y'all must be the band. And we'll look at each other like, we have no instruments on us. And we always just kind of laugh it off. They'll be sitting at the table and behind them will be the picture of our three smiley faces, <laughs> like keynote speakers, Holistic Life Foundation. And they'll still look as well. Y'all are the band, you know, and we just roll with it. We're, we're now in an aboriginal folk band, is what we say, tell people when they ask us. Uh -oh. Ali, <laughs> Ali, and I, Ali plays the didgeridoo, I believe. Atman plays the bull roarer. I'm vocals. And we've had people ask us for our CDs and everything after we tell them this preposterous story about our band because they ask us if we're the band. So we just have fun with it, you know? Again, back to having fun, right? You know? So, um, I mean, just do it. There's going to be so many people doubting you. And, and if your heart's in it and you know for sure this is what you're supposed to do, there's it, such a need out there. You know, there's so many wonderful programs doing stuff very similar to ours. And we always say, hey, we're a resource. We want to support you. You know, our goal isn't for the Holistic Life Foundation to be everywhere. That'd be nice. But our goal is for mindfulness to be everywhere, for everyone to meditate everywhere. You know, that's it. If I could have that around the entire world every morning a families get together and they sit and just take a moment and they're just being to start their day off and at the end of the day they do the same thing i think the world would be drastically better place it, it, so many more compassionate individuals i want to i've been wanting to ask you is your teacher still with you yeah actually yeah he's a he's an amazing 
amazing man. We, I see him once a week still. Um, he's, he is the definition of a hermit. So he is by himself all the time. He doesn't ever, we, we used to have camera crews come in and want to interview us and him. And he'd always be like, oh no, don't you mention my name. Don't you talk about me, this and that. No, I'm just a conduit. This, you know, you know, y'all are the ones doing this, not me. So I still have talks with them weekly. Um, and they're a little different than before. Before it was a lot more study, assigning us like books to read because we're all big bookworms or, or new meditations, techniques, anything. He's always into it. He's been since the 60s, just studying and studying and studying. Now our conversations really are just about, uh, I give him a, a, like a business update. Because he used to always joke with us about, he used to, he used to say, prepare yourselves. The business of yoga is coming. And, and we look at him like, the business of yoga? What does that mean? Business, that does not. He's like, business of yoga is coming. He used to always say it. So now whenever I walk in, he always laughs because he knows that me, we're stuck in the office the most of the time now. And everyone else is doing the, the teaching. He's like, how's the business of yoga going? You know, and I just laugh at him. I'm like, God, you were so right. So I give him little updates and, you know, I always let him know, hey, you know, we, we led this thing here we spoke to these thousand people you know you were there with us you spoke to a thousand people too and and then our conversations basically now and this is by by far the best part of my week every week is within three to four hours we just talk about oneness and love and how are we going to continue to do what we're doing how are we going to continue to unite everybody you know especially now with the the turmoil that's going on with you know our political situation and just the natural disasters that are going on and and, you know, we were just at a, a fearless um, con conference in, uh, in Omega, and these topics were brought up often. And when we spoke, one of the things we really, really wanted to get across to people was uh, the concept of, of empowering other people to empower themselves and to empower others, but also for, for everyone just to kind of just stop for a second and, and, and let's, let's stop hating. Let's stop pointing fingers and blaming let's stop being left and right why can't we be center why can't we be together you know because it, it's just amazing how many times i see people have these conversations and when did a conversation have to always end up being an argument when, where both sides leave and nothing's fulfilled where now they're just angry at each other you know? why can't we speak and talk knowing that the ultimate goal is togetherness and and let's Let's stop fighting with each other. You know, I used to, someone told me, I forget who it was. I need to figure out what it was. They would say, when you point at somebody, three fingers are pointing back towards yourself, right? You know, so stop blaming everyone for everything. When you see something wrong in someone, instead of being like, oh, this person, you know, they're really insincere. Oh, they're just not a good person. Maybe that's the universe telling you to stop and look within yourself. Maybe... All those people out there are just mirrors for you to observe and see, hey, this I need to fix within me before I start saying, you know, casting stones. You know what I mean? Everyone's just, I feel like it's just a big rock fight right now. <laughs> no, no. I mean, the only way that we're going to heal the world, I think, is through togetherness and oneness and, and to, to start looking again and, and looking past race sex, socioeconomic levels, political preferences, all that's the past, all that, and see that I am you, you are me, we are humans. We're, we're on this, this big ball together, right? Let's, let's start treating each other the way that we want to be treated. And it's such a basic kind. Mean, when were we taught the golden rule? Like when we were little teeny tiny kids, you know, it's always, I remember in all my elementary schools, the golden rule, but I just don't think it's being used as much. And that's now all we talk about with him is just love and oneness. And it's, he's amazing. You can see, I, the listeners can't see my face, and you can't see, you can see me beaming when I talk about him. Whenever I, I can just close my eyes and be there with him all the time. He knows that. And uh, it, it was a blessing. You know, they, I think uh, they always say when the, when the students are ready, the teacher presents himself. And, and I think it, that worked for both of us. I think he, when the teacher was ready, the students present themselves too. And, uh, and I remember that day asking him about that book when we asked about the book and him looking at us like, y'all want to learn this? Because Ali and I would tell me stories of when they were younger and they'd be hanging out with them and he'd be saying, oh, you know, this, I know this great exercise. 
called the breath of fire that clean up your body. And in the middle of the conversation, he would just go <laughs> and start doing the technique. And Ali and I were like, oh, all right, um, uh, we're going to leave now. This is a little weird for us, right? You know, so, so, so he had tried to get him into it. So I think when he saw that he had these three um, pupils that were like, we want to do this. And then when he would talk to us, we were so eager. We'd, we'd have notebooks and we'd be sitting there taking notes. And he's like, what are you doing? And we're like, what you, well, I mean, we're trying to learn this. We're taking notes. And you could see he was so excited to see that he finally had someone to listen to. And we were just, I was overwhelmed. I mean, he, he transformed who I was. I mean, he would never appreciate me saying that. He would say, I did it all. You know, and you and I talked about this before. I was like, just really struck. You know, I've been following Holistic Life Foundation for a few yeah. years because as I told you um, I did a lot of work in youth development and I became a yoga teacher because I wanted to bring these practices to kids and I just you know I learned about you guys and I'm like oh my god these guys in Baltimore are like they're doing my fantasy <laughs> and I've just you know just been really struck by um, for so long you know like what is it that uh, what are you doing that's like so <laughs> unique and powerful and and that's to me that's what it is it's lineage it's that love and care that you got from your teacher that you're passing on and I imagine that you have a minimum of three other young adults now that are you know sitting and taking the teachings and ready to pass that that on and um, that that power and what you're talking about with the golden rule and oh, how yeah. you know so many of us grew up and heard that in some form of education or um, outside of school, perhaps in a religious context or in a lot of different ways. But there's um, the power, I think, comes in having these really strong, caring figures that actually mm -hmm. embody that. And I keep coming back to that because I think that... Um, to me, it feels like so much of your mm. impact and what you're doing is, you know, part of it is sharing the teachings, but you're doing that from a container of, of deep care and sustained commitment over time with young people. And I think that's an important thing to kind of emphasize around you know, the how and the why Holistic Life Foundation has been so successful so far. Yeah, I mean, for sure. If I didn't have uh, my teacher, if I didn't have Ali Notman, um, Ali Notman's parents, the supports that we had, I don't think there's no way we would be as successful as we are. I mean, um, we, we always talk about um, you know, Ali Natma's upbringing and people would say, well, so you didn't have a yoga practice or anything like that or mindfulness practice when you were younger? And I was like, no, you know, came from a Puerto Rican family, you know, if anything, mainly focused on dominoes, a little salsa here and there. Uh, but, uh, but it was amazing. Uh, my mother retired, I don't know, like four or five years ago. And uh, my mother has always been, you know, a staple in my life. She's always kind of been my lighthouse, my, my rock, like. Everything I do is for her. Mother, single mother, five kids. I'm the baby of the family, so um, always everything I always did was for her. And she always supported me every aspect of it. Like when when people were saying get a job, she said, "Do you do, do you like what you're doing?" I said, "Yeah." She says, "Okay, keep doing what you're doing." I, I remember two years into it, we we're broke, and I could have gotten this nice paying gig. And she says, "Do you really want to make the money?" Or do you want to do what you're doing? I want to do what I'm doing. She's like, well, then don't take the job and do what you're doing. She's always, you know, big, huge support, unconditional, you know, you know, like most of us, unconditional love all the time. And I remember um, going to a retirement thing and uh, she works for the, she worked for NSA. So it's a little interesting going in there, secure all the security and crazy <laughs> stuff. I'm walking in and I never knew what she ever did. You know, she was just a teacher. Uh, and get a, give people good laughs. And she worked for the NSA. I used to always say, oh, yeah, my mom just pets aliens. That's all it is, right? <laughs> and my mom would just shake her head and be like, I can either confirm nor deny that statement. And it would just make me laugh even more. I'm like, come on. 
so I go up in there and all my siblings are like, someone has to talk and say something for mom. And I'm like, cool. And I'm thinking, of course, the, the oldest one is good. They're like, Andy, you should do it. I'm like, me? Y'all been around a lot longer than I have, right? So I have no idea. They throw it on me. I don't know what to say. And I sit down. I'm super nervous. And um, people come up and start talking about her beforehand. And person by person walks up and just says, you know, I just want to thank her. Without her, I wouldn't be who I am today. The next person. Without her, I wouldn't have a home. Without her, I wouldn't have a family. Without her, I wouldn't person after person after person. And and the, the same thing was that they said at the end was she saw something in me and she believed in me. She didn't know who I was, but she told me I could do it. And she gave me the love that I needed to be the person I am today. Unconditionally again. And I'm in there and I'm like, I, I didn't know that this is what she, I didn't know this, you know, she was always so tired, you know, she would leave so early in the morning by the time she got home, she'd cook a little food, we'd have family dinner, she'd cook it, leave it on the stove, would be asleep by the time I would get home. So, you know, throughout middle high school, I didn't see her ever, and I just knew she worked very, very hard to make sure that we could be supported and we could eat and there'd be food on the table, and I didn't know what she did. And I think then that's when I realized it, it, it hit me. It made me feel so good because I was like, that's who I am. That's who I want to be. You know, I want to be my mama. You know, I, I want to be just like, I, I'm hoping that when, when, when this all ends with holistic and maybe I retire, I may want to retire once that, that that's what people, that I get a line like she did of people saying, Andy believed in me. He loved me unconditionally. He made, helped make me be the person that I am today. You know, and, and I think that that's where my practice was. That I was blessed, again, like we were talking about, the, having these people, to have these people in our lives that allowed us to do this, that supported us and believed in us. And it's so, so important. And, and that's kind of what Holistic Life Foundation wants to be for people who are trying to do this. We want to be that support. We want to be the resource for them. We want to be the shoulder they need to lean on when they're saying, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. We want to encourage as many people to go out there, spread the love, spread these techniques. It, it's needed everywhere from low income populations to affluent communities. Everyone is facing stress. Everyone is, is, is just bombarded by the external overwhelming stimuli that we have to deal with. And, and just if we could all be reminders, it, it's within us. Within there is no without. And that, that little light of yours, you know, let it shine, right? My teacher used to always sing that song with me. We had so much fun. Talking this little light of mine. He was, he's got a great voice. I did not. He would sing it. And I, I would love it when he would sing that to me. And he would say that to me all the time. He's like, let it shine. Come on, you gotta let it shine. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, without the support of my two brothers that I have, Ali and Atma, to be there when we were broke, to be there when people were doubting us, to always just look at each other and say to each other, hey, so long as we stick together, this is, we won't make this work. We have each other and we're going to show the world that they can save themselves, that they are in control and kind of remove all these <laughs> misconceptions of what yoga and meditation and mindfulness is. People always make it like out to be this hoogee poogee mystical magical stuff, which I guess sometimes I think it is too, but, <laughs> but you know, it, it really is just, just breathe and just be. Just treat people the way you want to be treated. See yourself within them and just love everybody. Yeah. Continue to grow. Holistic Life Foundation. I mean, you're you're offering a gift to the world. It's such. It really is such a, such a pleasure. Um, so um, so just so all y'all know, you know, it's always the three of us here. Um, me, Ali, and Atmar, three headed monster. We like to always say. Uh, so um, whenever one of us is speaking, the two of us are here. Really, all of us from the Holistic Life Foundation. All of us. Are, are here and uh, and we always like to say the same thing when we end any of our talks or trainings or whatever it is, any speaking engagements. We always like to remind people um, that love is the most powerful force in the universe. We love all of you and, and know that we're here to be a support and a research resource for you for anything that you need. So have a blessed and beautiful day, okay? Andy, thank you so much. Thank you. No so problem. Much. Anytime. Oh my god. Anytime you need anything. Any yeah, you're awesome. We need to hang out when we're around. Yeah, I know, I know. You guys go to Tucson 
Okay. I got to get to Baltimore. I kind of feel like yeah. I want to come to Baltimore and like just hang out with people. We're happy to come to Arizona. <laughs> you know, I was just in Sedona. From, and my birthday was uh, last week and I went to Sedona. It was ooh, amazing. And just driving through Arizona in general, I was like, uh, this might be a potential place that I could stay for a little while. Here's the energy. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Thanks for listening. I hope that this conversation has left you with a big smile on your face and feeling inspired and that you're able to take that inspiration with you through the rest of your day and into the days to come. If you want to learn more about the really incredible work that Andy, Ottman, and Ali are doing at Holistic Life Foundation, check out their website, H-L-F-I-N-C. Org. They have some really great short videos that capture in depth the work that they're doing in Baltimore. And to learn more about what we're doing at the Center for Compassion Studies, visit our website at compassioncenter.arizona.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. This has been another episode of the University of Arizona Center for Compassion Studies Conversations on Compassion. This has been produced by Gary Forger. Our sound engineer is Gary Darnell. Music produced by Gary Darnell and the incredible team at the University of Arizona Office of Instruction and Assessment. This is Leslie Langbert with the Center for Compassion Studies. Thanks for listening.